Welcome to Tell Me About It, episode 11. Today, my guest is Kenton Shouldice, who is the CEO and founder of Shouldice Wealth. He has over 10 years of experience in the investment management industry, which ultimately led him to founding his own company in 2016. Today, we're going to talk all things money and investing, as well as his journey as an entrepreneur. Side note that Kenton and I have actually worked together a couple years ago when I was at a startup firm. So nice to see you again, and thank you for coming on the podcast, Kenton. Thank you for having me. So to get things started, do you want to tell us a little bit about your career before you started your own company and what you were doing before? Um, so I guess my career trajectory is a little boring because um, I asked my dad once when I was you know, in grade three, I think, uh, what I should do. And he said, you should go into finance. Just what every third grader wants to hear. <laughs> um, I think the story goes that uh, that pogs were cool at that time. And I was the first one to realize that uh, this fad was going to die. And um, so I started selling my pogs. And then I sold other people's pogs on commission. Um, so he thought that was an obvious choice for me. And I listened to him. So I took a degree in finance. I worked eight years at the same financial company, working my way up the ladder. And then I quit about three and a half years ago and I started my own firm. I know one of your mottos is that banks are ripping you off. Is that what you learned working in the industry beforehand? Yeah, it. that line, I sometimes get slack for it from the industry, um, but it's there because it grabs people's attention. And the reality is when you look at the size of the banks in Canada, they make up over a third of the market cap on the index. Um, and they make up that much of the index because they're extremely profitable and they're profitable because they charge a lot of money for their services. So right. the fact that they're doing so well while the average person struggles, you know, I can't come up with a nicer way of saying um, what they're doing. So your company, you manage high net worth individuals, correct? Um, can you dive a little bit into that? Uh, yeah. So just to kind of like quantify it, high net worth in the industry is typically a million or more of investable assets. Um, so that is like actual financial assets and in excess of the house, um, the car and all that sort of stuff. Um, so these are typically very wealthy people. And that's what I used to do. I used to help those people, but I don't do that anymore. And that was kind of actually the reason why I decided to leave my old firm um, is that a lot of high net worth people are very nice people. They donate to charity, you know, they're very fine people, but they don't need help. Certainly they don't need my help. There's lots of firms out there clamoring for that business um, that are going to serve them just fine. The problem is if you're a middle class person, um, you don't have a lot of options. You basically can go into a bank and get sold a mutual fund on commission from some sales rep who you know, doesn't really know what they're doing, or you can do it yourself. And those aren't great options for most people. And so we kind of thought, well, let's try to, instead of just complaining about this and saying the banks are ripping you off, let's try to change things, right? Let's compete. Let's drive the cost down. Let's do something different. And something that I think everyone should know about Kenton is that he recently wrote a children's book, which is super cool. I briefly took a look at it. Um, so the main purpose is to teach children about saving and investing. Tell us how this idea started and why you did it. 
Yeah, it's, it's a little different, isn't it? Um, it, it came about, uh, when I was hiking with my brother just this summer, the beginning of the summer, and we were looking at ways to try to get in front of parents with young kids. The reason for that is, you know, as an entrepreneur, we had kind of identified that as our market. Um, generally when you have a kid, it's a trigger event in your life where all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, I need a will. How am I going to pay for their education? I don't even have life insurance. And all of these questions come up and we happen to solve most of them for our clients. So we've gotten a lot of traction in that market. So we thought, hey, how can we get in front of them, create something valuable that they want? Um, And we decided to do a children's book. So I wrote that over the summer, got an illustrator in Indonesia. Oh, wow. And uh, self-published it just a month ago. That's honestly amazing. I think it's so, so important that children learn about financial literacy at such a young age. And also high school students should also know about this kind of stuff because at the moment, it's not in our curriculum. And yeah, it's super important. So yeah, very cool book. Yeah, it's a bit of a gap in the educational system. Um, that we're not teaching basic financial literacy. I do feel like it would fit just fine in like the math curriculum. You could teach compound interest so people understand investments and the consequences of debt that doesn't get paid off. Um, I think it's a practical application of math, so it should fit just in in that math curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I guess the children's book, to go back to it, we write a lot of educational content for adults as well, but we were finding that some people kind of have some core financial habits by the time they're an adult that can be difficult to break. So some people are more inherent savers than others, and some of them are more inherent spenders. And a lot of that comes down to how you're raised. So, you know, when we're trying to educate people by the time they're adults, sometimes it's a little too late when it comes to core financial habits. Um, and that's why the book was also useful is that we can get kids at an mm-hmm. early age to just understand the totally. basic concept. Hey, when you get some money, just put it away. Yeah. And the concept with the, the, with the book is, uh, is that you have squirrels who have to save nuts for the winter, right? So the concept is simple for kids, um, nice. but, but gets the saving idea across. Oh, totally. I mean, nowadays with student loans and whatnot, people don't know how bad interest rates can be um, after graduation and they just think, oh, I'll just pay it off nicely after, no big deal. But it's definitely an important thing to learn. Anyways, let's move on. So can you tell us why it's important to invest and how people can get a basic understanding of investing? Well, a basic understanding of investing I would say that we provide a lot of educational documents ourselves. So um, if you're looking for that sort of information, you can go on our website and download a free guide that'll go through everything. Um, We also do a lot of educational presentations. So if you sign up for our newsletter, we'll keep you posted for when we're going out and doing presentations so you can get some information there as well. Um, But I would say a lot of information is out there. Uh, The most important thing that you need to do is to understand who's posting the information and whether or not they have some sort of self-interest in preaching a certain thing, right? So in most investment management, um, people are paid to actively pick stocks, right? And so 
They want to tell you that they can decide whether or not Royal Bank's going to outperform TD or Suncor is going to outperform Imperial, right? And they'll claim that they're able to do that, but the statistics are clearly against them. They are not able to do that. Um, and the only thing that happens to you as an investor is that you're stuck paying higher commissions, trade costs, and management fees. And so sometimes there's lots of information out there, but it's bad information because they're trying to sell you something. So they have uh, a conflict of interest, right? right? So get the information out there. It's all available, but be critical of whether or not there's some sort of incentive for the person providing the information to bias it. And this might be an obvious answer, but why is it super important to invest rather than just save? Um, so basically if you're just going to save, um, you're just putting money away and it's going to sit there in the mattress, doesn't, uh, increase in value over time. Um, in fact, it's likely to decrease in purchasing power over time because, because of inflation, the price of goods and services goes up all the time. Um, and if your money's just sitting in your mattress or just in a bank account where they're not paying a lot of interest these days, um, your purchasing power erodes. So what you can buy tomorrow is in fact less than what you can buy today if you don't invest. If you do invest, um, your money should grow much faster than inflation. So it's, it's worth more and it buys more in the future as well. Makes sense. What are your thoughts on mutual funds? <laughs> well, that's a word that we typically avoid in my household. It's like a trigger word. I get a little riled up when I hear it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, mostly because it, it's not that it's a bad idea to pool your investments with other investors and diversify across a bunch of different individual stocks. That's a good idea. The problem with mutual funds is the fees that they charge. And specifically in Canada, we pay the highest fees in the developed world. Um, it's around 2.2%. And given that markets will, you know, compound at about 7% per year, um, I don't want to throw too many numbers at people. So I'll, I'll just say this. The fees that you pay in Canada will take away about half of your money over your life. That's insane. <laughs> Something that a lot of people kind of go back and forth on and want to know is, like, what's your opinion on renting versus buying? Ooh, the lifetime debate. Um, I would say that as a general rule, if you are planning to stay in the same place for more than five years, you're probably better off buying. If you're not sure and you think you might move in less than five years, probably rent. And that's just a general rule. It's obviously going to depend on a lot of specifics, but um, in the absence of knowing the specifics of every listener, that's a good rule to go by. I've heard some people argue that it's smarter to take that down payment that you would use on buying a house and invest it, and that you would eventually grow more money on that than you would if you used it towards a house and sold it after. I mean, obviously that depends from case to case, but what would you say about that? Um, I would say, yes, obviously it depends, but um, the math would probably support that. Uh, the problem with that approach is that it doesn't work very well from a behavioral finance perspective. Mm -hmm. So uh, the reason why houses are a great place to save is because it's forced savings. Every month you pay your mortgage payment, you have to pay your mortgage payment, and right. that forces you to put money 
into the asset. It's it's just forced savings. So it works really well for people who might otherwise not save that money. At what point would you say that someone should seek for financial help? I would say if you lack one of the following three things. So if you lack the interest in finance, if you lack the time to do it, or you lack the expertise. Uh, it's not to say you can't rectify those things, like maybe you can make more time available or you can educate yourself. Um, I don't know if you can become more interested in something, yeah. but if you're able to rectify that, great. But if you lack one of those three things and you're not willing to fix it, um, you should probably seek an advisor. All right, retirement savings. When would you say is the right time to start saving and what age should you start getting worried? <laughs> this might be a cop-out, but yesterday. <laughs> and I know everybody says that the best time to save is yesterday. The second best time to save is today. The third best tomorrow, oh God. et cetera. <laughs> Very cheesy. <laughs> so there's no too old or too young age to start saving then is what you're saying. Uh, No, I would say there's never a too young. Um, I guess I didn't answer the too old question. Mm -hmm. So I've had a number of clients who probably thought that they were too old to get to retirement um, that have been able to get there. And the reason is you can always make adjustments in your life. Uh, Sometimes it means if you've waited too long that you're going to have to scale back your quality of life, downsize your home, um, save money wherever you can. You might have to make sacrifices to do it, um, but it's never too late to make those changes. Yeah, for sure. What is the most important piece of financial advice you would give to students or young professionals? I think the best piece of advice would be to invest in yourself first. Um, when you're a student or a young professional, you've got, you know, 40 plus years of work, salaried work ahead of you. And any way that you can increase that salary is going to help a lot. And that generally means investing in yourself, whether that's higher education, trade school, um, whatever it is. That's probably the best investment you can make. Yeah, I like that. Um, do you have any financial myths that really bother you or misconceptions about the industry? Um, So one good common misconception is that investing is like gambling, which is definitely not the case. So in the case of gambling, the odds work against you. Essentially, it's a zero-sum game where the house is taking a cut, and so all of the people that are actually gambling have a net negative rate of return on average. Um, investing comes with a lot of the risks of gambling, a lot of the uncertainty of gambling, um, but the odds are in your favor. Over the long term, markets go up, not down. Um, yes, they move around a lot. Yes, there's a lot of uncertainty, but to you know, call investing gambling, I think, is, is incorrect because gambling um, does not pay off. Investing does pay off. Good to know. One of the ones that I've commonly heard is that carrying a balance on your credit card is a good thing because then it helps you build credit. Would you say that that's a myth or a fact? So I'm a little surprised that that's a myth, Um, but I guess I could help set the record straight. No, carrying a balance on your credit card does not help. 
um, paying off your credit card every month, that helps. So maybe maybe it's just a confusion for people in that taking out debt and then paying it off um, without missing any payments is how you build your credit. So some people might think, oh, well, I'm going to spend more on my credit card. And actually, that might help. But you don't want to carry the balance. Um, you want to prove your ability to repay. Another one I just thought of is, does having a bunch of credit cards and loans help or hurt you if you do make payments regularly? Um, so I, I believe anything more than two credit cards starts to count against your credit score. Mm-hmm. I mean, so long as you're paying them off, it's probably not going to make a big difference. You'd still probably qualify for anything that you needed. But yeah, you don't want too many of them. I also wouldn't recommend it personally because it's annoying to track that many balances. You're more likely to miss something. I think simplicity in finance is quite valuable. A lot of people get overwhelmed on their finances um, because they make them overly complicated. Totally. I have some questions that I got from social media. First one I have here is outside of financial advisors, which trading platform would you use? Well, I haven't used any for a little while, um, so maybe my recommendations will be out of date, but I do like Quest Trade and Virtual Brokers, or at least I did when I looked into them before. Okay, nice. Um, next one. Do you like Bitcoin? <laughs> oh boy. Um, I might get some hate for this one, but no, I do not like Bitcoin. Um, primarily because the people who uh, espouse Bitcoin end up with too much exposure to it. So it's not that it's an inherently bad um, asset to own. It's that the people that own it tend to own way too much of it and everybody else owns none. And so this kind of is actually actually a problem of diversification. So I get that same question on things like real estate as well. You know, is a rental property a good investment? Again, it's it's bad because a lot of people that have rental properties have tons of rental properties. It's the only investment they have. Mm-hmm. And the problem is simply diversification. If you only own one thing, like Bitcoin, one headline can wipe out your investments. If you only own rental properties, then rising interest rates or a downturn, let's say, in oil and gas when your rentals are in Calgary, can wipe you out as well. And so it's just a problem of overexposure. Um, And Bitcoin tends to be one of those things that people are overexposed. Well, millennials, there's your answer about Bitcoin. (laughs) Um, what is the most annoying reason you hear when people say that they can't save any money? Um, well, I kind of, I have some sympathy for people who can't save money because a lot of people are really struggling out there and it's not as easy as, you know, an upper middle class white man like myself might think. So I have sympathy. I would say start small, even if it's only five bucks you know, a month. I know that seems inconsequential and it's not going to get you to retirement, but Mm -hmm. it's a good habit to get into is to just consistently put money away, even if it's a little. Um, So yeah, try your best, put money away. Yeah. Good advice. Next question. For people with a lot of debt, should they still be trying to invest that money for bigger returns or work on paying off their debt with all that extra money they have instead? 
Uh, so another it depends answer, but I'll give you some general guidance as well. If it's high interest debt, pay it off. If it's a credit card, absolutely pay it off. If it's a personal line of credit, probably pay that off. Um, if it's low interest debt, like a mortgage or a home equity line of credit where it's backed by an asset, the interest rate's probably pretty low and you would likely be better off investing. Um, so high interest debt, definitely want to prioritize paying that off. Low interest debt, probably better to invest. Where's the threshold? I would say any any debt that you have today that's higher than about a 4% interest rate, you should probably pay it off. Anything that's less than 4%, you don't really need to prioritize. Sounds good. Um, last social media question I have is, what advice would you give for any upcoming entrepreneurs? Um, so I think my advice would be don't become an entrepreneur for the money. <laughs> um, I'm three and a half years into this and financially I would have been better off keeping my old career, but that's not why I did this. So I went into this because I'm passionate about something and I would tell every other entrepreneur out there that you better be passionate about the business you're about to start because it's not easy. You're going to struggle. 90% fail in the first three years. And if you're not passionate about what you do, you're going to give up when times get hard and they will get hard. So be passionate. Don't expect it to be the most lucrative decision of your life, but do something that you want to do. Absolutely. What would you say is the most rewarding part about being an entrepreneur and the biggest struggle? I would say the most rewarding part is being able to make a difference. I know that sounds somewhat corny, but it's not just that I can make a difference today, but I feel like the fact that it's a business means it can also scale into something much bigger than I could have accomplished having just worked as an employee for a company. You can build a movement, right, that lasts and grows and extends beyond yourself. Um, so I like that idea that you can make a larger impact. Mm -hmm. um, the most difficult part I would say financially, it's difficult. Yeah. So not only are you likely to lose your income when you start a business, um, but you also are probably going to invest your life savings into it. And so financially, it's difficult. You're going to you know, not have benefits. So I didn't start a business until my late 20s for that reason. I worked a career. I did eight years pulling a good salary and I squirreled away everything that I had so that I could plow it into a business. Um, so I've kind of mitigated that a bit, but that's definitely the most difficult part about being an entrepreneur. And what's the entrepreneurship community like here in Calgary, by the way? Um, so it's growing. A lot of people are kind of pessimistic in Calgary these days um, because I think entrepreneurship is historically associated with oil and gas and that industry has struggled um, and so a lot of people assume that there's not much of a thriving entrepreneurial community in Calgary. If that's what you believe I'd encourage you to go check out a Rainforest Alberta event or Startup Calgary. There is a thriving entrepreneurial scene in Calgary. A lot of it is kind of energy tech and green tech. There's not a lot of finance companies out there like myself, but people are starting businesses all the time in Alberta. A lot of really cool ideas, tons of events out there. It's doing well. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I just, sorry, I keep thinking of other questions here. Um, what's the craziest thing that you would say has happened to you in your career? Um, well, actually, there was this, uh, back in 2013, when I was still employed full-time um, at my previous job, and I was managing about $3 billion in assets there, and it was the summer when we had that crazy flood, that 100-year flood in Calgary. Mm-hmm. And we were transitioning our international stocks from uh, ADRs, which are listed in the New York Stock Exchange in North America, over to uh, listings in Europe and Japan and Australia. Um, so we were going to buy on the uh, domestic markets internationally. And when we did that, we basically did one half of the trade overnight. So we had the traders in our offices um, across the world do half of the trade. And then we were supposed to come in the next day to do the sells of the North American side to raise the cash for the buys. And so we had about a $450 million exposure um, that was sitting there and there was no cash. (laughs) So we had to place the trades. But that flood um, closed all of downtown. So yeah. <laughs> we're supposed to be coming into work and there's a police barricade along the, the transit line there. Um, and we, we snuck around the barricade and we snuck into our offices um, and we placed these trades. And we were getting updates from other people um, throughout the day. They were saying, oh, this is the, the river's up to 600 cubic meters or whatever it is per per second you got to get out of there (laughs) but we uh we we were able to place our trades and as soon as those were those were done we uh we got out of before the downtown flooded um so yeah that was uh that was a pretty crazy story and you finance people are just rebels (laughs) that's funny that's a crazy story actually yeah Well, before we wrap things up, do you want to just tell people where they can find you online and any other information that you have to give? Um, So you can find us online at uh, www.sholdicewealth.com. And that's Sholdice like the park. Um, And you can also find us on social media. We're on every platform. So uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, all of that. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It was fun. Thank you for having me.